Welcome to Ink and Magic, a podcast where we read and discuss the writing craft, world building, and romance of paranormal and fantasy novels. If you love books with bite, set in worlds of magic and mayhem, then you're in the right place. My name's Nikisha Shanae. I go by an S. And I'm Leslie. I write as Elle Penelope. And welcome to the show. Welcome back to the show, guys. We're so glad to have you with us. And today we're taking a little bit of a break from the Psy Changeling series because Leslie and I are craft nerds. We are serious story nerds. And we have a lot of banter going on about different aspects of craft. And today we want to take a deep dive into looking at a specific type of character arc that I like to call the Darcy arc. And this is Inessa's creation. Uh, she has this theory. She has no responsibility for this. Is what she yeah. I'm here to listen and to just poke holes in things. <laughs> so this is how this started. I'm going to explain to you what the Darcy arc is in just a second. But I just want to explain that once when I said this to Leslie, she did one of those things where she turns her neck and she looks at me like I'm the craziest person in the world, which is not an that's, abnormal occurrence. It's in an interpretation. I'm pretty sure that's not what I was thinking. <laughs> I was thinking, I was like giving it some serious consideration. Sure, sure. <laughs> okay, so what the heck is the Darcy arc? Well, let me tell you what my premise is for, for this coming, this idea even coming into fruition. So of course we all know Pride and Prejudice. It's Jane Austen's classic, one of the primordial texts of what we do as romance authors. And there's so many characters that are modeled off off of Fitzwilliam Darcy because at the beginning we're not supposed to like him even though he's dashing and he's handsome but he's kind of stuck up but that's in the beginning and after again we love that how many times have we heard the proposal at Rosings and we swoon even though it's the most awful proposal in the world <laughs> but eventually through acts of kindness and through vulnerability and through humility, we see a very different Mr. Darcy. And we, along with Lizzie, realize that we have misjudged this man. And we, along with Lizzie, fall madly in love with him. This character arc, this transformative arc is what I call the Darcy arc. I believe it's worked in Twilight with Edward and Bella. It's worked in The Hunger Games with Peta and Katniss and in Sex and City with Mr. Big and Carrie, the Leslie doesn't believe me. And it's worked in 50 shades of gray with Christian and Anastasia Steele. So that's my premise of what the Darcy arc is. This, this character transformation of a guy who we initially were like, mm, I don't know if I could spend forever with him to yes, we're going to be happily ever after. I mean, I understand. So from my perspective, I first heard this and I was like, Okay, Pride and Prejudice, Twilight, Fifty Shades. Um, I know that Twilight and Fifty Shades are the same story in general. Now, full disclosure, I've never read Fifty Shades. I've seen the first you don't movie. Need to. <laughs> the other ones I have seen various, well, all the Pride and Prejudices and you know, read it several times. And I just, there are some basic similarities, but I don't believe that they're all the same story. I don't see personally how... Pride and Prejudice and say Twilight are really the same story? I have proof. I have evidence. <laughs> One, the first bit of evidence is Stephanie Meyer was greatly, she says that she was greatly influenced by Twilight and she used scenes from Twilight right, right. in her creation of 
Sorry. Uh, 50, uh, oh my gosh. I feel like my grandmother right now, not getting the right <laughs> name of the kid. Um, Stephanie Meyer was inspired by Pride and Prejudice. She's a complete Austinite. She remember the movie she made? Aust made um Austin Land? Oh, is that her? That was Leslie Penelope. I, I have the movie. I have the <laughs> She produced that. Okay. And so, I can believe that she was inspired by it, but for mm -hmm. me, they are still really different stories. Okay. There are some basic archetypal similarities. Yes, but continue to convince me. Okay. So, and I'm and I have a formula for my Darcy arc, but first let me let me let me deal with my friend first. So <laughs> Pride and Prejudice, Twilight, and Fifty Shades. I think they're the same social story. They're the same story because they all have the same trope of opposites attract. And those 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 opposites attract is usually from a social or a class difference. Because if we look at Pride and Prejudice, it takes place in the Victorian era. It's a small town romance. It's contemporary for its time, and the social com their social commentary because Elizabeth and Darcy are from completely different classes. Then, if we look at Twilight, twentieth century small town romance, go forks Washington, <laughs> and it's paranormal with suspenseful tones because Be uh, Bella and Edward are different species, mm -hmm. and then. Fifty Shades of Grey, again, 20th century, another Washington town, but this time a big city romance. And it's coming of age, and it's a sexual awakening erotic romance with Anna and Christian not only being from different uh, social classes, being from different banks. So from the, starting with the, the trope, the settings, and the tones, these, all, these three books all have the same trajectory. You think the tone is actually the same in these three? I think that Pride and Prejudice's tone is very different from, say, Twilight. I'll grant that Twilight and Fifty Shades, you know, I see the the bones, the skeleton there, and they are once again judging even this physical, the movie, like the visually in the movies, they have a similar sort of dry, dark palette color scheme of the, the Northwest of Washington State, um, where everything is not sunny, it's not bright, whereas adaptations of Pride and Prejudice are. And I guess England is probably not super sunny and bright either, but they're not. Okay. And it's unfair to compare only the movies, but I don't think that the tone of the, of the actual stories is other than being romances are necessarily aligned in that way. Uh, with Pride and Prejudice, you, you, you kind of got me a little bit there because it is more of an omniscient narrator. It's not just in um, Lizzie's head. But it's Lizzie's story. It's Lizzie's story. That's true. And yeah, comparing the writing styles wouldn't be fair because, you know, Jane Austen is writing in the 1700s and it's not Victorian, whatever whatever that era is. But um, writing styles have definitely changed in the past few hundred years. So tone aside, continue. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I think, because I love, I love a formula. So I think that any good Darcy arc where you're trying to have a transformation of kind of a mysterious, aloof, hero to someone who is completely devoted to the heroine and who makes a transformation to become very open and very protective of the heroine. I think there's five things that you need and I made them all start with M's. Thank you, the sources. <laughs> and the first M of the Darcy arc is a misunderstood character or characteristics along with a mistreatment of the heroine. And then there's movement towards pursuing the heroine, often awkward. And fourth, there's magnanimity. Again, thank you, the sources. <laughs> That's an act of kindness that um, the hero will display later on in the story. And it ends with a missive. 
which is a swoonworthy swoonworthy declaration of love. And you can see all of these elements in each of these stories. I love your use of alliteration. <laughs> Props to your thesaurus. That was very impressive. Yeah, and I but I think that this is how does this actually differ from a general romance? I mean, could you say that these are characteristics of not all, but many, even all enemies to lovers romances? Um, are is it characteristics of any alpha romance that's not necessarily insta love? I think that there are with with alpha. I think all three of these heroes are alpha. Yes. Um, what was the other thing you said? Just enemies to lovers. Enemies is to lovers. And enemies to lovers. Essentially, is the Darcy arc essentially an enemies to lovers arc? It's enemies to lovers, yes. But not all, like if we were to look at you know, the hating game, I think the hating game is kind of a Darcy arc and she's going to really <laughs> fight me on that one. Um, another enemies to lovers, another enemies to lovers. I know the audience is shouting at us, but I don't think that every hero is going to be a Darcy where he's going to be mysterious and misunderstood at the beginning. I think that is key. That idea that he he is probably not going to be looked at by the by the heroine or the reader as relationship material at the beginning because there is they are butting heads, but not in an enemies to lover sense. I think it's something to do with his characteristics that that in that start the butting of the heads. Okay, interesting. So with that, like, uh, let's take a look at some of the ways that these heroes, that these that these three men, Darcy, Edward, and Christian, some of the things, other things that they have in common, and that affect those those five M's. And I think their wealth and or status is key at, in each of these stories. So they have this misunderstood char characteristics, and it's usually because of their status. With Darcy, he was raised in this kind of cloistered, high hoity-toity environment. With Edward, he was raised in a different century, but he also has this self-loathing because of what he is. And then with Christian, because of his the trauma of his past and his need to control, all three of those, their status, their wealth that they surround themselves with, it pushes other people out so that other people will very easily misunderstand their characteristics. Is it just misunderstanding? Because they all actually literally push people away. They are haughty, prejudiced, even proud, even. And they're being misunderstood because they are mischaracterizing themselves in large part by showing a certain side of themselves to the public. Right? I completely agree with you. I think you just you just helped to strengthen my stance right there, Leslie, because okay. you're absolutely right. They are they're the ones that are doing it. And I but I feel like they're doing it because of those those things. You obviously, I make five thousand a year, so you want my money, or I'm I'm the hot high school guy, and of course you want to date me, or again I'm a billionaire, you want to date me. So I mm -hmm. think their wealth and their status contribute to that. That's fair. I mean, yeah, I'm not here to poke holes in everything. <laughs> I will let you know when you have a good point. <laughs> Thank you. And another really key thing is, I think all three of these guys are really emotional emotionally inaccessible again darcy it's i think his um his emotional aloofness it's a byproduct of his upbringing and his social status again so that's coming back to play with edward he's really self-loathing i didn't i didn't really 
Robert Pattinson's portrayal of him really shows him as hating himself. And I don't think I got that when I read the books. Granted, I read the books over a decade ago, but I don't think I really got that. And then Christian Grey, again, the books are written. I read two and a half of the book. <laughs> I could not get through the third book. It felt like an extra writing exercises to me. Sorry, E.L. James. I'm going to be meeting her in Vegas. And she doesn't listen to our podcast, but it <laughs> felt like a series of writing exercises to me. But um, with um, Jamie Dornan's portrayal, again, I felt like I saw the trauma of his past mm -hmm. playing out on screen. You completely saw in the books as well as in the, the, the film portrayal, his need to control. And I think all of these things made these characters, they put the walls up. So they were too afraid to be vulnerable when we met them. Their walls were, were it was like, it was like an, um, a Psy who had their shields up and they were not gonna bring them down until the heroine came by and started to lightly poke them. And I think it's interesting. Maybe we can have another episode in the future on actors' portrayals and how they can Ooh. enhance or take away from the book that they're based on. Because, yeah, you bring up interesting points. Like the way that an actor perceives a character can really affect our perception of them, especially if there's a long time between, you know, reading the book and watching the movie, or if, you know, depending on what order you do the things in, if you watch the movie first, then you read the book, which I prefer. I actually prefer that because when I read the book first, um, the movie, I never liked the movie. Uh, <laughs> but, and because I've had conversations, my, my younger brother is an actor. He's a working actor in Hollywood. And we've had conversations about character and, you know, my perspective on character as a writer and his, and what he's, his perspective as, a, as an actor bringing it to life from just words. And so that is actually a, a really cool point. I think that, you know, trauma, they're all traumatized in different ways mm -hmm. from their pasts. They're all, emo not just emotionally inaccessible, but emotionally stunted in a lot of ways. Like they do not have you know, <laughs> a healthy level of access to their emotions. And there's something about a romance hero that is emotionally damaged in some way that yeah. we love to read for some reason. Yeah, you know, with the side changeling heroes that we have read thus far, I wouldn't call any of them a Darcy. I would not call... We've read um, the first two books so far. Um, we've read Slave to Sensation, which is the only one I'll, t I'll bring up. But with Lucas, he is not a Darcy. Even though he has dealt with trauma, he has experienced trauma in his past. I don't think he's mm -hmm. misunderstood. He does not mistreat the heroine. But that that's that that's an opposite to attract romance as well. It's enemies to lovers, opposites attract with an alpha. So yeah, it's it's a good point of comparison between the two. So he, you know, but the difference is Lucas has had tragedy, but he also has his pack and he has mm. a healthy family structure. Ooh, and yes, so those emotions right. are, and he, as the alpha of the pack, he has to manage his emotions and that of other people who rely on him. So even though we have in the in your Darcy arc, these powerful rich men who are um, in large part, at least with Darcy and Christian Grey, they're responsible for others. And Edward Cullen is, you know, as a point, um, a position of responsibility in his family to a certain mm -hmm. degree. They, even though they have sort of responsibility for others, are they helped by that? You know, or is their emotional life, um, is their emotional health helped by that? That's and, really yeah, yeah. Because they all have a family system. Darcy has his sister, and he has Bingley, mm -hmm. and that he he keeps it tight. Yeah, Edward keeps it tight with his family. 
Christian, even though he has family, he still keeps them at a distance. So yeah, that's an interesting point to bring up about family. And I think that we've been talking sort of about themes in the Side Changeling books and the theme of found family and connectivity and connection. And you can see where I think why romance novels reinforce that so much, because like these are good examples of when that's not healthy and it's not present, you have sort of an emotional low. And by the end of the relationships, they've gotten that, you know, they get that from their partner, their love interest, and mm -hmm. they get a healthier sense and an expanded family and a healthier sense of family. Yeah. Which brings me to another thing that all three of these heroes have in common is how they transform. Darcy learns humility and the importance of kindness all because of Elizabeth and her family, her family's craziness. <laughs> um, Edward comes- Learns empathy also. Right? Yes, it's, he's, that, that makes him empathetic, right. Um, Edward comes to terms with his own vampiric nature and what it means to love someone because he's been alone in his family for a hundred years. Um, he learns this because of Bella. And then Christian confronts and starts healing from his past traumas because Anna's just like, I'm not having it. You need to get better or we can't be together. So they all transform because they, because of these relationships that they're pursuing. And because they know that if they don't effect change, she's not staying. And that that is maybe another difference between some other alpha stories, because I do think that in most romances, you know, your, your two love interests are going to be on positive change arcs. Somehow they have to, when they get together, they're both going to make each other a little bit better. But I wonder, do you think that you see that a lot in other alpha stories that might not be Dar Darcy arcs? Is that the same thing? I think the heroine changes a lot because of the relationship. Usually she's getting out of a bad situation and she yeah. is, but does the hero change as much as these Darcy characters? I think with modern, especially because we mostly read a lot of, um, our alphas are usually in paranormal. Mm -hmm. And one of the huge components of paranormal is that found family. And so a lot of times it's the heroine who is coming in to right. the family. So no. Let me think about because I'm I'm not like I know you'll find a lot of alphas in like mafia romance and I don't read a lot. The only mafia romance that I've really read is Cressley Cole's um, The Professionals. Mm -hmm. Is that what that's called? The Professionals, those three Russian brothers. I'm not sure. I know the first book is called The Professional. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I can't remember what the series is called, but y'all know what I mean. Um, but those were all loners too. Even though those this the series is about three brothers. They were all loners. And hmm. when I think about those kind of um, contemporary alphas, like your mafia bosses, I, I love JT Geisinger's series. Um, I don't know the name of the series, but there's a couple <laughs> of different spinoffs. Again, with like cruel in the title and cruel this and cruel that. Um, they are, there's found family there, but the, the alpha heroes, the only transformation they kind of make is you know, they meet the woman, they want to protect her, they'll do anything to protect her. And maybe they, if they're, they they might shift their business or try to get out of the criminal life to keep her safe. But it's not really an internal emotional change arc. So it might be something that is, that, that differentiates your Darcy arc from mm. other alphas, even enemies to run, yeah. enemies to lovers. I think I think this is this goes across all alphas. I think they all have a rescue complex. 
They want to be, they want to serve in that knight in shining armor role. And we see with Darcy, he helps deal with the Lydia and Wickham crisis. With Edward, he's he's constantly rescuing Bella from a rogue vampire. <laughs> um, and then with Christian, Christian loves to swoop in and save Anastasia. But it's the funny thing is a lot of these problems, the heroes kind of created. <laughs> uh, or, or, or come out of, well, at least with Edward and Christian, maybe come out of the relationship that the heroine has with the hero. Hmm. And even maybe with with um, Darcy, like if would Lydia have run off with Wickham without Lizzie and Darcy's this and you know back and forth? I don't know. That's more of a stretch. Yeah, maybe no, Darcy didn't tell anybody about Wickham. Mm -hmm. When he did tell Lizzie, it was too late. Well, it, well, it, it soon it became too late. Right. Yes. Well, what, the, what is the order of events on? Pride and Prejudice. She she rejects him and he gives after he she rejects his um letter. He tells I mean, her his, in the letter. He tells her in the letter about Wickham, right? So, but she doesn't tell anyone else. She doesn't, she doesn't tell, tell anybody. She comes home, Lydia goes off to Brighton right, with her friend. Yeah. And that's when they run away. So yeah, it could be another thing is that even um like secondhand, what is the word for that? Even um, even though if it's not the primary cause, they are somehow responsible. Like yeah. the interaction is somehow yeah. responsible for this thing that the hero then has to save the heroine from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, with because with uh, Christian, when Bella is put in oh, Bella, when Anastasia is put in danger, it's by one of his subs. And the other time that she's put in danger, it's by the woman who trained him, who was who dominated him because okay. she partnered up with Anna's ex-boss. So inadvertently, it is their fault. And then we know with Edward, he, he brought food to the baseball game. So. <laughs> right. All his fault. Oh, so yeah, the, the rescue complex is created by their own foolishness. Yeah, by their own <laughs> foolishness. I'm sure they do not want to put her in danger, but it kind of serves their purpose. So... Mm. Mm. all three of these guys also have kind of a moral complex they're not good they're not necessarily straightforward good guys they all struggle a bit with right and wrong even darcy who again what we were just talking about he he was trying to protect his sister but he was also trying to protect his reputation too and he didn't want to tell on wickham mm -hmm. so and that came back and that bit him in the butt with with Edward, he thinks he's a monster because he needs to drink blood, even though he's a vampire vegetarian. But he and he's and he's told he tells us in the book and he tells Bella, I have killed people sometimes uh, purposefully, killed, not just to eat, but he was started to go like after what he considered to be bad guys. Mm -hmm. And then with Christian, he has a lot of <laughs> being. <sighs> I'm trying to figure out how to say this properly because there's there's relationship dynamics and the power control in the relationship that he has with Anna, the power controls that he's had in the past, even though they were negotiated, they're not always they're not always equal. That's how I'll are say they it. equal at all? No. Yeah. But they're negotiated to be unequal. 
Mm-hmm. And we see that with the sub club, there's a sub club. I know you didn't read it, but there's a sub club. It's not in the book, in the movies, but the, some of the women who were his submissives in the past, they kind of come together and they have like a support group. Oh, wow. Yeah. Is he traumatized them or something? I don't know if he traumatized them, but he left, he left an impression. Okay. And he left an impression on one of them so much so that she just starts to stalk Anastasia and pulls a gun at one point. Mm-hmm. So they're not complete good guys. They're not straight and narrow mm-hmm. good guys. But that that's also goes hand in hand with being alpha, I think. Mm. You know, you don't have an alpha who is just that's that's what cinnamon rolls are for. <laughs> I think. <laughs> yep, the alphas have to make the tough decisions. And sometimes it's a really tough decision right there that they have to make. So the last thing that I want to point out about uh my Darcy arc is there is a really deep passion that they have as they're falling in love there. And I think it's because they built all three of these guys in my example have built up their emotional walls so high that once those walls start to fall, it's like they, she is their purchase. She is the only thing that they have to cling to. That's my interpretation. And mm-hmm. they fall so deeply, so passionately in love. And I was re-watching Twilight the movie, and I was uncomfortable. <laughs> because it it was the depth of, of their devotion to one another. Mm-hmm. It was uncomfortable. It went really deep. It went, it went. It, it was. It made me uncomfortable. <laughs> I haven't seen it in such a long time that I do not remember. It so. landed. It landed differently. I remember swooning over the books. I remember swooning in the movie theater, mm-hmm. but I rewatched it maybe a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, "This is not healthy. You two children need. You need your parents to come and, and give you a timeout." Well, that was a lot of the commentary at the time from people who were not enamored of. And books. I didn't see it. Yeah. Why do I see it now? You're older and wiser. I don't know. I would like to believe that. Or you have kids who are that oh, age God. and or have been that age no, recently. That must be it. <laughs> and you imagine like, okay, my kid at, what were they, 16, 17? They were, yeah, they were like 17. Well, Bella at least. Yeah. Uh, Edward was 100, but. <laughs> yeah, that probably brings a different perspective to it and just your additional wisdom. <laughs> Thank you, Leslie. <laughs> <laughs> but that's it. That's my Darcy arc, a misunderstood character who mistreats the heroine and then awkwardly starts to move towards her, pursuing her, who shows magnanimity in an act of kindness and then delivers a missive in a swoon-worthy declaration of love. It's lovely. I appreciate it. Thank you. I still don't 100% agree, but I do like what you've done here. And specifically like Hunger Games, Sex in the City... I don't, I don't see it there either. I'm going to let you have that. But yeah, <laughs> Mr. Big is a complete Darcy in my eyes. Is PETA misunderstood? Is Mr. Big misunderstood? I think PETA is misunderstood. Um, not for very long, but Katniss, in, in Katniss's eyes, he doesn't talk to her. Um, he avoids her. And then there's that one flashback where he Gave was the bread. throwing the bread out. Right. And then when they are when they are taken to the games, remember he they he they separate, and mm-hmm. he goes on the opposite. He goes on the, the bad team right. until he he saves her, mm-hmm. and he's always wanted to save her. And one of one of his ploys, I thought, 
was to get in with the bad guys to try to protect her. So I think that he is still, he's misunderstood at the beginning. It looks like he's mistreating her, even though he's really trying to help. Mm-hmm. But we don't understand that at first. And then there are those awkward, you know, teenager kind of getting to know you in front of all the cameras while in that pretend wood. <laughs> um, there's an act of kindness in there. Um, they both kind of do the act of kindness. I think that is that, that there's, that, that that's happening while they're surviving together. And then at the end when they are, um, when they sacrifice or prepare to sacrifice each other or themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it repeats again. They stop before they get to the declaration of love and then they go back and they repeat that whole pattern in the in second two. movie. Yeah. 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 I guess it, it depends on who you were rooting for. I was always on Team PETA in Hunger Games. <laughs> and so it was. I I remember her misunderstanding, but I thought that she was kind of obtuse for misunderstanding. Mm. And whereas the other ones are like legitimately mean to the the characters, Mm -hmm. the sort of pretending to be mean in order to save you feels Mm -hmm. different to me and feels like a different motivation and it's coming from a different place. And that's kind of where I take, you know, I just see it diverging from some of the other examples. I can, I can, I can hear you with that because yeah, Mr. Big is not purposefully mean to Carrie, he is just, he doesn't give her the attention right. that she seeks. That she is expected from others, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's their shades. I mean, you know, there's, you can have the core and the various shades of it. And I still think that, you know, some of the most popular romances are just going to have these sort of archetypal create, um, archetypal creations and archetypal pillars to them. And some of these are just pillars of romance and especially alpha romance. Mm. But they do they do show up over and over again in different books. And I think mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons why we love them. I mean, as a romance reader, you're looking for the same thing but different, that same emotional experience told in a different way, done a little bit differently. And so if you're getting the, that same, those qualities that have you know been proven, these brooding heroes, the you know enemies to lovers, the different classes, forbidden love, all of these tropes that you love, and when you can combine them together, it's even better, and it has a higher chance of connecting with all of us. It does, it does, which is why when people um, shout, "Oh, romance is so formulaic," I'm like, "Yes, thank goodness <laughs> that the readers are telling me exactly what they want." Yeah, but I mean. Even within the formula, sometimes it can be too formulaic and you get bored, Mm -hmm. but a good writer is going to give you the formula, but in a way that you didn't expect. So yeah, I don't necessarily call it formulaic. I mean, it's structured. For me, it's like a structure that I know and I can trust and and rely on to give me the emotional experience that I'm looking for. And my favorite writers are going to give me some twists and turns and give me things Mm -hmm. in a way that I didn't expect or take me on a journey so that I know it's a romance and I know Mm -hmm. they're going to end up together. Mm -hmm. But for a little while there, I'm scared Mm -hmm. and I wonder how it's going to happen. And that's the true mastery of the craft of romance, I think. I agree. Because with this structure, we got opposites attract in a... 1700s, you said not Victorian? I I don't think that's Victorian. I think that's Regency. In the the Regency. Don't quote me. I'm not an historical writer. (laughs) I know everyone's going to be like, ah! Right. So you got opposites attract in the Victorian era. You got opposites attract in 20th century paranormal. And then you got opposites attract erotic romance. It's the same trope with the same 
bones, if you follow my five M's, and you got three successful stories that readers keep going to and, and fans keep making fanfic of and authors keep reinventing this wheel. So yeah, structure rules. It is neither Regency nor Victorian. It is an Arab. I believe this Pride and Prejudice takes place in the late 1700s, which is another time period. We, yeah, neither one of us are historical, but you all know what we mean. It might be the Georgian era. Uh, anyway, historical, yeah, right, let us know. Let us school us <laughs> because we read historicals, but do not write them. And I, I know Victorian is the late 1800s and Regency is before that. And I, in my, in my mind that they, these books are like 1775 or something or between that and the, in the early 1800s at any rate. Darcy Ark works no matter what time period you're in, no matter what year and era and <laughs> yes. future, past, present, fantasy, sci-fi, mm -hmm. contemporary. Yeah. I think yeah. that you did a great job of trying to convince me. I see many of your points. For the writers who are listening, how could they take this information and use this in their writing? If you like a guy, I know not everybody likes guidelines. I, li I like to bowl with the kitty guardrails up personally. So I like having rules. I like seeing things laid out step by step. And I very, very frequently will veer off course just a little bit, but I snap back to the structure. Um, so what I would say, if you are interested in writing a Darcy arc, take a look at those five M's and see where you can tie those into your hero. Sounds like good advice to me. Thank you. So now it's time for everyday magic. Inez, do you have an example of everyday magic in your life you'd like to share? I do. We are recording this on Halloween day. And I got up and I went to the gym. Applause, applause. Thank you. But that was not the, <laughs> and that was not the everyday magic. I, 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 I used to have like a Gold's Gym membership, but it was so boring in there. And I live very close to the community center in my neighborhood. And the community center, um, crazy cheap, right? So I go to the community center and in the community center, they always have um, pickleball set up and it's the <laughs> best thing to watch. The elders of the community trash talking each other <laughs> is the best. But today, today they were doing it in costume. <gasps> oh, wow. There was this man dressed up as a cheetah with the ears and the tail <laughs> and I almost fell off the treadmill. The best thing. <laughs> That's magical. Yeah. I feel you. I wish I could have seen that. You should have had taken photographs. I can only show it to Leslie because you know privacy and all that. Right? Stuff, but just imagine. I need to see it. My example of everyday magic. Um, about a week ago, a week and two days, I posted this video on Instagram of my two cats, Stokely and Sterling, and I was playing with the laser with them, as you do. And then Sterling looks at the laser and he looks up at me. And you can see him realizing that I am controlling this laser. And he sort of has a resting grumpy face all the time. And so it was pointed in my direction. So I post the video on Instagram, just not thinking. It's just a, a random cat video. Um, nine days later, this video has been seen 7 million times. Oh my God. Times. It grew? It's, it grows every day. It's a million a day at least or more. I've reached... Six, six million accounts, but people play it more than once. So seven million plays. The number of comments, I mean, I've never had any kind of content be seen this many times. So I think it's, 
you know, we need something light and happy on our timeline. It's a nice timeline cleanse looking at these animals, even even a grumpy cat likes Sterling. <laughs> and yeah, it, it's absolutely magical that this many people have seen my kittens who are grown ups, grown up cats, but they'll always be kittens to me. Thank you so much for joining us, guys. And let us know what you think. You can leave a comment on YouTube with your thoughts on the episode. Share it with a friend who loves romance. And please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And you can always check out our book schedule on our website, inkandmagic.net, so that you can read along. Our next book is book two in the Side Changeling series, Visions of Heat by Nalini Singh. And we'll see you next time. Bye.